0: Heavenly Father, Lord, once again, we come, we come to your word, and the significance of that, that phrase is sometimes lost on us, that the word of a creator God who transcends all of our perceptions, revealing himself to us in part because we could never know in whole. And Lord, as we look to the very express image of our Father God in Jesus and we hear his words and we see his actions, may we not simply appreciate or or rationalize, but truly believe in who he is and why he came and what he does in us, through us and by us. We pray that we as the church will continue to embody Him, to live His gospel out in the world. We pray all of this in His name, Amen. So, John chapter eleven this morning. John chapter eleven, and um, we're going to be we're going to be tackling tackling a, a amazing amazing passage and one of the ones that. Um, pretty much everybody that 's ever been to Sunday school learned at least part of this because if you were in Sunday school as a kid and you had to memorize scripture john eleven thirty five was everyone 's go to um, because it 's only two words, but you still got credit for a full verse um, and then and then usually the backup was, "Oh yeah, I know one from Thessalonians or something. Pray without ceasing and then you had to like work hard and learn other verses but John chapter eleven so so Jesus in John chapter ten. Jesus went to the feast of dedication to Hanukkah. He was challenged by uh, the the Jewish leaders, by the ruling elite. Um, and at the very end of chapter 10, uh, we read that in verse 40, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. So going all the way back To chapter 1, we find out that John the Baptist had been baptizing on the east bank of the Jordan, in the modern country of Jordan, um, uh, at a place called Bethany by the Jordan. Um, And so Jesus goes over to this other place, um, and he is across the Jordan, away from them during the winter, and then there is, in chapter 11, we pick up the narrative, and it seems like this continues hard on that Moment. In chapter 11 and verse 1, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and their sister Martha. And uh, just that this is significant, uh, real quick. Just this idea that that John describes the village not as Lazarus's village, but that he's the brother of the, the he lives in the village Bethany the village of Mary and Martha so it seems that Mary and Martha were actually the 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 more important of the 3 um, possibly the older of the three, um, which gives us all kinds of ideas about what's going on with Lazarus. And verse 2, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now this is one of those moments where we realize John is not necessarily telling things in sequence because you notice that that's in the past tense and yet she doesn't anoint Jesus until chapter 12. So, so John sometimes will move things or make references to things um, before he actually tells you. Uh, and so this seemed to have been common knowledge to the, to the people he's writing to, and yet he just makes reference to it. Um, and so verse 3, so the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said that this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after these sayings, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. And now Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought he had meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus had to tell them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Don't you love Thomas? Thomas has such a positive perspective on life, right? I mean, that's, that's his motivation in life let's go so we can die. I mean, Thomas, you just see him. He's wearing a black black trench coat. His fingernails are painted black. He's wearing white makeup. Let's just go and die with Jesus, right? This is his attitude uh, toward this. Now, there are a few things going on in here in this passage, um, and we're gonna we're actually going to go pretty fast through this whole section, but I, I want to give you, there's a few things going on here that John is going to, he's both referencing things that we've already covered, and he's setting up for more. And so I want to, I want to kind of to break that down, so this is the second time that Jesus has has identified an illness or something as being this is not about this, this is about that. In chapter nine, when the disciples ask him about a man born uh, born blind, they say, "Who sinned? If you remember this, who sinned? This man or his parents?" And Jesus says, "No, no, no. This is this is something that has happened. If we look back in chapter nine, you'll see you'll see what he says." Right in nine chapter three, chapter nine and verse three, Jesus said it was not that this man had sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he makes a statement. He says, "We must must work the works of him who sent me." While it is day, night is coming. So here he picks up those ideas again. Jesus says something very similar. He says in in this passage we're reading, he says, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God the Father. And then down further in verse 8, he says, are there not 12 hours in the day if anyone walks in the day? So previously he talked about doing the works of God in the day. Now he's talking about walking in the day. And John is connecting these two events All right. He's he's hoping that what John is doing as an author is he's giving us two very similar situations so we can kind of see Jesus in a stereo way. We can see um, that these are the same thing, whether he's healing blindness or he's resurrecting the dead. Jesus is doing he's about the same agenda. And so this is not about that. This healing of the blind man is not about healing blind people and the resurrection of Lazarus is not about raising your friends from the dead. All right? So we're, we've got a bigger theme going on. Um, and so Jesus is then, he has to make it very clear to his disciples. And how often have we seen this in John's gospel already? The disciples do not understand what Jesus says. And and Jesus has to be very, very clear with them. Now, I want to remind you, this is not because the disciples are intellectually inept. This is not because the disciples are unable to understand because they're incapable of understanding. Um, When you explain to your child how, uh, I mean, my daughter would ask me questions like, how does a black hole work? And, you know... I would just explain to her, well, you know, a star, the mass, and incre- no, I'm not going to get into all the mechanics of all that. She doesn't know. I just say to her, honey, it's just, a, you know, a lot of gravity in space. Oh, okay. And then when she was older, she could understand it because she just, she couldn't abstract at three years old when she asked me that question. All right. Um, I just handed her a book on quantum physics and said, read that and come back to me later. Uh, you know, I could, But now that she's older, now that she's in college, she's able to understand those things a little bit better. It is not that they're incapable. It's not that they're intellectually immature. It's that what Jesus is saying is ridiculous. The, your initial response, if somebody says he's just asleep, what would your initial response be? He's just asleep. So we get on the, the, the disciples sometimes because they don't, they don't understand what we get to see. But we have this whole testament. They're living it. Um, and so they say when, when Jesus says, you know, Lazarus is asleep, I have to wake him up. Um, they don't get it. And Jesus has to speak plainly. Lazarus has died. All right. So Jesus waits two days. Then he talks to his disciples about doing things during the day, not at night. And then he says, Lazarus has died. Let's go. And then Thomas, the twin, the Didymus, um, the the emo disciple. um, I'm going to make a T-shirt, Thomas, the emo disciple, and just a picture of some goth kid. Um, And uh, and he says, let us, they're ready to go to, to die with him because they have tried, the Jews have tried to stone Jesus twice the last time he went to Judah, all right? Twice they've tried to stone him. Not once. Once would be enough, but they've tried to do it twice, and he's he's managed to get away from them. And the disciples are sitting there going, "Okay, strike one, strike two. Let's not push. Let's not push our luck here, Jesus. Let's not go to Judea. They're going to try to stone you again." But Jesus is going to go. Verse seventeen. Now when uh, now when Jesus came he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for days. Um, Bethany is near Jerusalem. It's about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. All right, so Jesus crosses. He, he's, he's at Bethany in the, across the Jordan. Um, he crosses the Jordan River. He ascends to Jerusalem. Um, and probably uh, this is happening in the, the early spring. Okay, so the crossing uh, of the Jordan, that's, a, that's a something sometimes you can do it, sometimes you can't do it. What he seems to be doing is doing this before, and this is setting up for the next section, but he seems to be doing it before the, the, the rains swell the Jordan River. Because afterwards, he can't go back over across the Jordan, probably because you couldn't ford it at the time. Um, if you go to Jerusalem now, by the way, and you see the Jordan River, uh, the Jordan River is, is tiny. I mean, it, it's like the size of, um, uh, 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 what's the name of the, the, why can't I remember it? The stream that meets the Merrimack at Twin Bridges. The Sal-Higan. Um So it's about the size of the Sauhegan now. And you look at it and you go, well, I mean, what's the deal with that? Um, and then you realize that, that it's like that because they're draining all the water off for irrigation. At one point, the Jordan River was a, a very significant river. Um, and the high water marks of the Jordan River put its depth at like 40, 50 feet during flood stage. And so at that, once it feels like that, you're not crossing it. Um, you don't cross rivers that are 40 feet deep during flood stage. Not a good idea. So, so anyway, Jesus crosses the Jordan. He ascends to Jericho or to to Bethany. It probably is it's a good day and a half walk. So, so he gets the note. All right, he um he waits two days. Then he turns around and he walks back to Bethany. And he's going uh, to Bethany, and he finds out that Lazarus has already been dead for four days. Um, And verse verse twenty. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Uh, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went out to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village. He was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly, because remember, she sent privately to him, to Mary, so so they don't know what's going on. They saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we sometimes you'll hear preachers get on... On, uh, on They'll talk about the differences between these two sisters. That Martha goes um, to meet Jesus. Mary stays at the house, right? So there's like a... The people make a comparison between that. And then Mary uh, Martha says, you know, uh, I believe and all these things. And G- Mary doesn't say any of that. I'm not sure that, that really the distinction is meant to be made here. I think that John is indicating... By the way that both women say the same thing to Jesus, that are, they actually have a very, very similar conversation with Jesus. He just is not going to repeat it. Um, and so uh, there's kind of this identification, kind of a, a shortening of the narrative. I could be wrong. Um, but, but it seems to me that, that Mary and Martha, they both come to Jesus. But they come to Jesus, let's say that they approach Jesus from different distances, Right. So so Martha, she hears that Jesus is coming and she heads out and people sometimes get on Mary's case for sitting in her house. But let's be honest. Are you going to leave this bunch of of consoling Jews in your house by themselves? Somebody's got to tend them. Somebody's got to babysit them. And so Mary's kind of there with all of the, you know, all of these people. Oh, your brother Lazarus is so sad. I can't believe they're, they're you know, they're sitting Shiva and they're, they're, they're doing their thing there um, and they're, they're mourning and everything. And then when Mary finds out that Jesus is coming, she runs and she bows before him, she falls before him. Uh, and they both say, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. That's an interesting statement that they make. So they're assuming that Jesus would have healed Lazarus. You know what's really interesting about the book of John up to this point? With the exception of turning water into wine at the beginning of the book, all of Jesus' signs, all of his miracles, have been for strangers, not his friends. You don't see any. You don't see him. You know. You don't see Peter going. Ah, Jesus, my blister. I hurt my my foot. And Jesus goes, Come on, let's walk. I'm heal your blister and keep going. There's none of this. Jesus is always ministering to these strangers, people that don't know him, that they can be invited in to the relationship with him. And here are these two apparently very wealthy women. All right, the the village—it's their village. They have quite the substantial home. Uh, we find out in chapter twelve they 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 are able to provide a pretty uh, pretty big deal for Jesus—a b- pretty big party. Of course, if you resurrected your brother, Jesus resurrected your brother from the dead, you'd probably throw a pretty good party. Anyway, um, but they you know they they seem to be and and so the Jews are kind of looking at them and there's there's all this narrative going on around them, um, and but they assume that if Jesus had been there he would have healed Lazarus and and it's interesting to see how they kinda define how Jesus would act by what they hope Jesus would do even in their faith even in their belief they are still struggling with setting boundaries on who Jesus is and what he does and figuring out his priorities Um, and then in verse, uh, uh, verse, uh, well, before I get into that, let me, let me just back up a little bit. Let's look at the confessions that happen here. So the first confession is Thomas's. Thomas' confession is, Jesus said, let us go into Judea. The disciples say they're going to stone us. Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. I've got to raise him from the dead. And Thomas, despite his you know, kind of dark thing, let us go die with him, he says, let's just go with him. Now, this will get picked up later on in, in the narrative. We will find a number of the disciples in John chapter 14 talking to Jesus about where are we going. What, what, how, what's this journey lead to? And Thomas is involved in that conversation too. But here Thomas says, I have no idea what's going on and I'm pretty sure we're going to die, but let's go. So we have a a confession at kind of a real confusion distance. Then we have Martha and uh, Martha's confession. All right. And her confession is, you know, I, I believe that you can do whatever you want to do. And, and I believe that there's going to be a resurrection at the end. I know that Lazarus is going to live again. I'm, I'm not worried about that part. I just wish he hadn't died. And then we get Mary's confession, which is just a very simple uh, confession, which is, which is coming up here in verse, uh, verse 33. Uh, she talks that when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? All right, or where have, they, where have you laid him? And it's interesting, Mary's, um, Mary's engagement here, she doesn't say anything. They, which assume means Mary and the Jews, they say, "Come, Lord, come and see. So uh, Mary's confession is unsaid. It's unspoken. We can assume that she agrees with Martha on the resurrection. One day the resurrection will come. We can assume that she views Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, like Martha does, but we don't know. All right? She's kind of in a nebulous space. But what we can see her declare is her weeping. Now, notice what we don't see about Martha. Now, we have to assume that Martha was weeping, right? I mean, certainly she's not that callous that she's not mourning the death of her brother. Um, but Mary, um, Mary is depicted weeping. The Jews are weeping with her. We assume Martha is weeping too. And her confession, her confession is the sorrow that she feels for the loss of her brother. They say to him, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? This is the crew that just can't let go of Jesus doing miracles. And they look at Jesus, they go, well, he healed the blind guy. Why couldn't he have healed Lazarus? So that, that prompts us to ask the question, why, how did Lazarus die? I really want to know what Lazarus was sick of. And we have no description of it at all. We don't know why he died. We just know he was sick and then he died. And the, the Jews who are supposed to be there mourning for Lazarus' death are looking at Jesus and they're saying, well, he could heal a blind guy. Why couldn't he take care of his friend? Right? He healed a blind stranger. Why couldn't he heal his friend? Didn't he love him? See how he loved him. Now, you may miss this or you may have caught it, but look at how they're trying to lower Jesus in their estimation. If he was willing to heal a stranger but could not heal his friend, maybe he's not everything that everybody says he is. He should have, Wouldn't he have been able to heal his friend? And yet he's crying. Maybe it all was a show. Maybe it wasn't real. Maybe what Jesus was doing, maybe it was you know a parlor trick. Maybe that blind guy, remember they said they, they were checking to see whether that guy had actually been born blind or it was some kind of game, some kind of, some kind of sleight of hand. There's a lot of concern about Jesus because of what he's doing. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? See, he's not the Messiah. See, he's not the Christ. See, he's not. He says he's about his father's business, but why didn't he heal his friend? All through this section, they've been questioning his statement that he comes from the father. And then Jesus, and here's this word again, verse 38. um, Then Jesus deeply moved again. Um, this this word uh, is is a translation of a Greek word. It is a it is obviously um, it is a the the idea of this word is to be motivated at the depths of your being, to have great wealth, a great depth and and strength to your motivation. It, it only appears three other times in the New Testament, um, and all three times it's Jesus either scolding someone we're charging someone saying don't you do this striking at the very core of their being saying this is what you're supposed to do and now jesus is doing it to himself he's stirring himself up to action okay there there is a there is a something happening here and it happens twice right so first it happens when he sees uh mary and the jews weeping in verse 33 And then it happens again here when they challenge his authority. When they misunderstand his tears. They see his tears as his inadequacy to help his friend. Oh, I wish I could have healed my friend, but I can't because I don't have any real power. That's what they're seeing. And Jesus is stirred again. Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Now, just to give you reference to this, we are not talking cave, stone. We are talking cave, stone. Okay, That's where most tombs in in Israel, that's what they are. Um, Because of the limestone in, in Israel... Um, There are a lot of these small caves and what they would do is they would kind of finish out a cave They would take the body you would you would drag the body in or push the body in You would let the body decompose in the cave over the course of a year or so And then when it was done, you would pull the bones out. You would stick them in a box um, You would put a person's name on it. So you label it so you knew who bones it was um, And it would be you know, Lazarus brother of Mary and Martha or something like that And then you would file the box literally there were shelves Um, called Oshuaria, Oshuarium, places where they store the bone boxes. Oshuaria means bone box. And you would take that bone box and you would put that bone box next to the bone box that belonged to his father, his mother, you know, his family. Um, That was how you you did it. And if you think about it, you live in a country with no topsoil, no soil layer, everything is limestone. Um, That's pretty much the only way you can bury bodies. Right, you either you either build things above the ground, which is what they do today, um, or you let the bodies decompose in a cave and then you throw them in a box. All right, very dignified, very very. Um, I I just I, I I don't know, it's weird. It, anyway, um, uh, Jews would not cremate. By the way, they they refuse to cremate bodies, so this is how they handle it. Um, so so they come to this cave it was a cave and a stone laid against it and jesus said take away the stone and martha now remember she's the first one she's the one who came to jesus and said i believe you're the resurrection she's the one who said he's the christ he's the son of god all those things martha says to him lord by this time there will be a stench or an odor for he has been dead four days all right Now, what's the significance of four days well um I don't know if you know this. Medical science in the ancient world was iffy, um, and so it was not uncommon. It was not uncommon to leave a body to make sure that person was actually dead. But if the person didn't move or get up in three days, dead. Right. So the fact that he's been in there for four days means that Lazarus is definitely dead. Um, it means that uh, he's passed through rigor mortis and into the beginnings of composition. Um, I do not encourage you, by the way, to find out or Google uh, what happens to a body after four days. Um, but let's just say it, 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 it's gross. And um, so they're saying, look, he, he's been in there for four days. It's going to stink. It's going to smell you know, they're, they're, all of the, all the fragrances and things that we would have put on the body, you know, that they've all faded away. He's in the process of decomposition. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Don't miss that element of the narrative. Jesus says, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. And the very next thing is that they take away the stone. What is the act of taking away the stone? It is the act of belief. See, they could say, okay, Jesus, yeah, we believe. Do a thing. But leave the stone in place. He'll knock if he needs to get out. When Jesus said, take away the stone, she said, he smells. Jesus says, do you believe or not? She says, okay, take away the stone. Is her belief complete? Does she understand what Jesus is about to do? No. But Jesus says, do, and she believes. Now now notice the development that's happening here. We have all these people acting in partial belief. You have Mary and Martha. They're not entirely sure what's going on, but they're going to believe. They believed that Jesus could heal Lazarus, and now they're believing Jesus is going to do something. you got Thomas in all of his struggles and all of his emotions still saying, let's just go ahead and follow him. Might as well die with him. They're, they have partial belief, not, not complete perfect knowledge. They're acting based on only bits and pieces. So they take away the stone, Jesus lifts up his eyes in verse 41, and he says, and look what Jesus starts with, Father, why? Who's gathered around watching to see what Jesus is going to do? All the Jews who said, you can't be the from, from the father. You must be from the, you must have a devil. You must be tricking us. You must be playing games. You can't possibly really be one with God. That's blasphemy. So Jesus goes, let's see you prove this one wrong. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around God I know what we're going to what we're about to do I just want these fools to know <laughs> I want them to see and I'm using that in the biblical sense because they have denied the reality of God at work in Jesus so he says I want them to see I want them to see what I'm about to do. And I've gathered them all here. You know what? They would not have been there if Jesus had come four days earlier and healed Lazarus in his house. They would have questioned whether Jesus had actually done it. Well, he's your buddy. Maybe he's in on it. Maybe he said he was sick so you could come in and prove that you were going to heal him. Now there is no question about what Jesus is about to do. He's gathered all of the witnesses that need to be there. All the people that have said, you are not one with the Father. You are not doing this according to God. Now they're there or their representatives are there. And then when he said in verse 43, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Always watch when Jesus shouts. When Jesus brings up the loud voice, it has meaning. When Jesus stops using his inside voice and he uses his outside voice, things are about to happen. He commands storms to stop. He commands demons to leave. He he heals children and he raises his friend from the dead. Now, this is the amazing thing. He says, Lazarus come out, and the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, let me ask you a question to roll around in your head. When did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? Remember, in John's gospel, the only miracle he did where he actually came in contact with someone was when he healed the blind person, blind guy. He spit on the ground, he took the mud, he rubbed it in his eyes. Other than that, how does Jesus do things? He simply says it. Go home, your son's alive. Um, he makes water into wine, he just commands it, and then he leaves the wedding. He's constantly doing miracles just by the power of his voice. Remember what John opens his gospel with. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with. And the Word was Guess what? Only God can command the dead to come to life. But this is a crazy thing. He doesn't say live. He says, come out. And again, not this, this. They roll the stone away. Lazarus come out. Ugh. That's a zombie movie. I originally entitled this Jesus and Righteous Zombies, right? But this, I mean, Jesus, Lazarus comes out and of course he's bound up. So he's like wiggling out like a worm. I mean, just think about this. He's probably, he's probably feet head first. So he's wiggling out of this hole. I mean, we think it's funny. I mean, we think it's funny, but how else did he get out of this cave? He says, could somebody please release his hands so he can just get up? I mean, think about the nutsiness of this whole situation. Here's the here's the best part. So I, this is I already talked about when did he later. Right? Think about this. Did their belief resurrect Lazarus? No. It was not their faith that resurrected Lazarus. He just wanted them to have faith that he was faithful their faith had no power except the their opening their eyes to what god was going to do and he kept saying why don't you believe not don't you believe that it's possible to raise the dead why don't you just believe in me and see what happens jesus's faithfulness frees us like it freed lazarus it loosens us so we can believe And here's what Jesus is doing. He is giving opportunity for belief at all distances from him. We have Lazarus who's dead. I'm going to guess he goes ahead and believes. All right. We have Mary and Martha at different distances. One sitting at the house with the Jews. Martha coming to meet him, but then they meet Jesus. Same statement that they ask. Then we have the Jews who are skeptical and doubting. And don't forget we also have the disciples who are being dragged along by Thomas waiting to be killed all these different distances from Jesus, and yet when Jesus does the miracle, all he asks is that they believe in him. So let me give you my big idea. Let me finish this real quick. It says, unbind them and let him go. And look at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? And guess what they decide to do? They will kill him for resurrecting the dead. Make no mistake about it. That is what John says. They are going to, they're going to have Jesus killed for how dare he resurrect the dead. That's how far away they are from God. That they can't celebrate that the Son of God is raising the dead in their midst. We've got to deal with this. Because we're afraid of the Romans. Never seen a Roman resurrect the dead. But they're concerned. That's their justification. All right, back to this. What's our big idea? What does Jesus ask them to do? We have varying degrees and distances of belief And Jesus asks all of these people to shift the location of their belief. You say the location of their belief. He asks them to shift away from the future potential. The anticipation of a resurrection in the end days. All right. He asks them to shift away from their expectation that God will free Israel. That's what the Jews are waiting for him to do. Is he, is he going to be the Messiah? He's going to free Israel from Roman oppression and set up a new kingdom. He asks them to shift the location of their belief away from the future potential, the distant, the far away, the unrealized, to a present reality, to live their world End to front. And what do I mean by living their world, in their world end to front? The study of end times in theology is called eschatology. Eschatos is the Greek word for the end. If you, were watching a, uh, if you were watching a movie in Greek, you know how in the old days I still miss this when a movie came to the end and it actually said the end instead of listing the executive producer... Uh, Or the old classic movies when they went fine, you know, they put that French hang on there or Italian or whatever it was. You're like, oh, I guess that means the end, right? Well, in Greek, you would see eschety, the end, right? Um, Hioschety. Eschatology is the idea of the end times. Looking forward. And we, we all talk about the resurrection of the dead. and We, we talk about the judgment of Christ. We talk about the, the rule of Christ, the coming of Christ to rule over the world, to, to judge the, 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 the quick and the dead. You know, if you, you remember the Nicene, uh, the Nicene uh, um, uh, 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 Creed, all right, it's a, to judge the quick and the dead. There's all these things. It's looking forward, looking forward, looking forward. What Jesus does is he takes the end. He says, now work your way back from that. And locate your faith in the beginning, in the present. Start with what you know about God, as far away as it is. Work your way back so that you live your life as if that's a reality here. I am, not I will be the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Yes, I know you see that as something off in the distance. You see that as something as far away. Now let's be honest. We can count on one hand the number of people that have actually been resurrected from the dead in all of history. Jesus, Lazarus, that kid that Peter, Paul bored out and he fell out the, the window, and then two that were resurrected by Elijah and Elisha. And then there's a guy that gets resurrected by Elijah's bones, uh, Elisha's bones, so I guess we've got to go to six. Se- seven. How do you get to? Oh, okay, seven. All right, fine, seven. All right, so you can count them on two hands. All right. <laughs> Still, out of the hundreds of billions of human beings that have lived, all right, that's point zero 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 one percent. Not a common thing. We will mostly, in fact, we will all, unless Jesus returns, we will all face the veil of death. We will all come to the end of this physical life. And so the temptation is to live our lives in anticipation of a future resurrection. But Jesus calls this gathered group to shift the location of their faith from way out there to bring way out there to here. Now, we might call that, and and I think this is a terrible term for it, but the idea which is very popular in New Age thinking is the idea of visualization, you know, the secret and all that nonsense. You know, just think hard enough about something and make it happen. That's nonsense. But believing that God is who God is and Jesus is who he is and seeing that projected back into my life transforms my attitude toward the present, not just the future so often christianity treats faith as something it's fire insurance to get out of hell it's one day someday you'll be at peace you know you're going to survive, and then on the other side you get the prosperity people, and they're they're talking about all this mumbo jumbo and nonsense about how you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Um, and and if you just pray to Jesus and give your offerings to us, so we can buy more cool shoes, you will be um, you'll be able to. By the way, there's a a preacher. One of the guys sent me a text message. There's a, a celebrity preacher who's doing an event with a musician. The tickets to be on the floor of this guy preaching in an arena are eleven hundred dollars yeah how about no there might be something wrong about that I responded back with as like, some, what in the name of Acts 8.18 is going on here um, which is the passage where uh, Simon the magician tries to buy the gifts of the Holy Spirit off of the disciples and they say and you're going to die he's like no no <laughs> um, this present reality that we live in is just as pervaded by the power of our God as the anticipated potential future is. And we as Christians must live our lives as if our God is active, true, and real, and the resurrection is real now. Knowing that we will probably die, we tend to project all of our faith beyond the edge of that. You know, one day I'll be playing a harp with a halo, and which is unbiblical. Our lives today should be pervaded with the reality of God and Christ as the resurrection now. Now. And you know what? When he's there, when we see Christ as the present reality it squeezes out so much of what we want to focus on so we can see him. I'm going to close with this. You guys, you guys know um, I, I have a little bit of an obsessive behavior problem. Um, I, I have a thing about um, the chairs in the sanctuary being straight about the Bibles and the hymn books alternating in a certain way so that the pattern covers the whole building. Um, The electricians were in the last two weeks doing these lights and messed up our chairs and our stage. The musicians this morning were practicing, probably trying to figure out why I was sitting in the back of the sanctuary. The reason I was sitting in the back of the sanctuary was I was forcing myself not to change it not to fix it not not to focus on my own desires and my own wills. now you you say this is a little this is a little thing trust me for me chairs not being straight it it will bug me and it will bug me and will bug me and i'm trying to force myself to not be bothered by those things i am the i am the guy who goes around and you all know this if something's not being done that i gave you to do and I happen to see it not being done, what do I almost inevitably do? Do it myself. Forcing myself to not do that, to let other people be who God has called them to be, that's a tiny little bit of allowing the presence of Christ to squeeze out what I want so that I can be more focused on what He wants. And I know that's a nerdy, weird thing. Most of you do not have this problem. But it's something small. And there are bigger things. I'm using the trivial to illustrate the big. We have to live with the reality of Christ in our midst. For any number of reasons, but mostly because we claim to be followers of Christ. And if we are following him we need to be walking with him, and if we are walking with him, we need to see him where we are now, not off in the distance. John will pick this theme up, by the way, in First John. He says he talks about walking with Christ. I encourage you this week, read First John. You'll see it. It's there, just in the first chapter. Let's have a word of prayer. Jesus, you are here. You have never left us. You have never abandoned us. You did not go off far away. And we have to m- fumble through things on our own. But you left your spirit at work. And the spirit of Christ is at work in us and real and true. The resurrection, the transformation, the the ability to follow you, the reclamation of creation, all of these things that work in us help us to live in the present reality of who you are. I believe you are the resurrection and the life. I believe you are the means, the only means of salvation. I believe there is no other salvation but in your name and that all must come to you. All knees must bow. I do not always see it. I do not always want it. But Lord, I long to always believe it. And as we follow you in belief, may we see your kingdom realized, your resurrection transforming lives, your lordship uniting and and fixing our broken relationships. May you be truly Lord in this moment, our moment today and every day. We pray this, Jesus, in your name.